such a beautiful display of who God is. And can we thank them one more time for such an excellent job? You know, we live in Hawaii and we, you know, we grow up watching hula, but man, when it's done for the Lord, it makes all the difference in the world because God is pleased when we use our gifts for him. He gave them to us. And so we get to be a part of what he's doing by using our gifts. When you came in, you're given your bulletin. And as you can see, we have a guest speaker this morning. But let me just clarify something really quick. Because here in Hawaii, when you come over to my house, or I know when people go over to your house, the first time they come over, they're a guest, right? So you kind of serve them. You show them where things are, where the refrigerator is and all of that, where the restrooms are. The second time, they become what? Family. (laughs) Somebody said a pest. (laughs) That is so good. That is so good. I'm not going to that guy's house. (laughs) But they become family. (laughs) Hopefully they become family. If they become a pest, I don't know if you want them in your family. But Dr. Glenn Burris, he has come here before, and, and so he's not our guest speaker. He's a part of our family. And Dr. Glenn Burris, uh, I've known him for some years now, and uh, he just recently became our Foursquare president. And so when he comes to speak, uh, I know you'll receive so much from him. He spoke at our men's conference this past weekend, and if you were here, oh boy, wasn't it rich and wasn't it refreshing? And, and I know that as he comes and speaks... The Lord will do the very same thing with us this morning. So would you welcome with me our family member, Dr. Glenn Burris, as he comes and shares. Good morning. Thank you, Sheldon. Good morning. I think I know why the guy blurted out pest, because Sheldon said, the first time they're there, you show them where the refrigerator is. And that's pretty dangerous. Uh, they will keep coming back. Well, thank you, Sheldon. This is a wonderful privilege to be with you this morning. My, you're out awful early. This is, uh, this is the thinking crowd, right? I mean, you're making the best use of the day and time. And aloha kakahiaka. Uh, it's uh, just fun to, to be with you. And the hula dancers were great. And I concur with what Sheldon said in terms of doing it for the Lord. It's um, just something to be celebrated. Some of you are on uh, our Facebook friends with me, and I enjoy uh, reading your posts from time to time. And I got my oldest Facebook friend the other day, 91 years old. This lady wrote me and she said, uh, would you be my friend on Facebook? And she put a little message in there and she said, I remember when you came to Mississippi and preached a revival at our church uh, years ago, and my name is Glenn Burris, but I'm, in fact, I met yesterday, you would probably know Joey, Joey, and Joey, right? I guess they're called J.R., Joey, and Joey, but uh, I'm a junior. So when she was writing this, I realized she was talking about my dad and not me. I remember she's 91, and uh, so I wrote her back, and I said, I'd be happy to be your friend, but I, I think you're referring to my dad and not me. And she wrote back, and she said, I thought you looked a little young for your age. <laughs> so at least I'm glad I don't look 85 yet. Uh, 
Sometimes I feel 85, uh, probably like you from time to time. My wife is not here with me. She is the love of my life. We've been married 36 years, and um, I um, still remember the day that I first saw her, that first moment when I knew that I would abandon everything else to win her hand. And we um, came back the next day. I, I saw her in downtown Mount Vernon, Ohio, came back the next day, asked her out. We dated uh, 10 days later. Three months later, I asked her to marry me, and nine months later, we were married. And I knew a good thing when I saw it, and I wasn't going to let it pass. We landed in Portland recently. Uh, I grew up in North Carolina. She grew up in Ohio. We met in Ohio. We were, had landed at Portland Airport recently, and we got in the car and turned on the radio, and it was on a soft rock station. And the song was on, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. <laughs> Anybody ever heard that song before on the radio? So I said to my wife, um, that's Carly Simon. She said, no, that's Linda Ronstadt. I said, no, honey, I believe that's Carly Simon. So when the song finished and the radio announcer came on and he said, it's Linda Ronstadt, she grinned and said, I told you so. And I said, you're so vain. She said, that's Carly Simon. <laughs> but you got to understand, my, I grew up in a preacher's home and I was sheltered and naive and my wife frankly, was a pagan growing up, and uh, so that's why she has a head start on all the music uh, of the world. But she's a great lady, and uh, she'll be in the last service uh, today. I want to talk to you today about probably a, a story that I've known all my Christian days, from the earliest days of being in Sunday school, I learned about the woman at the well. But I've really uh, dove into this in the last several months and had the Lord speak to me about what all was going on. It's a rich, rich chapter, the Gospel of John. It records the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, um, some would say that he doesn't even have a full complement of disciples yet. Within 24 hours of the time Jesus was baptized by John in the River Jordan, he had his first five disciples. And from then, he built 12 men around him to carry out this wonderful commission of the Lord. And we discover uh, this journey that the Lord was making when he encountered the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Now, let me paint this picture for you. I uh, thought about having a map uh, put on the overhead, but, but decided not to. But watch me really closely. If, if this were... Um, an imaginary map of Israel in the southern part, which is called Judea. Remember Jesus' words to the disciples just before he ascended? And he said, uh, your commission is to go to Judea, Samaria, um, and to, to the other, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Remember that was his commission to them. If you think about Israel, Jerusalem is in the lower southern part of Israel. In the middle part of Israel is Samaria, and in the northern part of Israel is Galilee. You often hear of Jesus going between Galilee and uh, Judea. You don't hear a lot about him going through Samaria, because frankly, that was, according to the Pharisees, forbidden territory. In fact, often the, the Pharisees would never step their foot inside of Samaria. They would literally 
cross over the Jordan, go up by the mountains to get to Galilee, which would be an extensive, out-of-the-way journey to avoid going through Samaria. Now, you have to rewind history a little bit. Jacob has uh, 12 sons. They became the leaders of the tribes of Israel. They ended up spending their families 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Moses was called to set them free. He took them to the promised land, but it wasn't until David, remember Israel and, and these succession of kings, Saul was the first king of Israel. Israel had been led by prophets and priests, but Saul was the first king of Israel because they wanted to be like other nations. David was the second king of Israel. Solomon was the third king of Israel, and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was the fourth king of Israel, and he led so poorly that Israel had civil war. And so ten tribes went north, and two tribes remained south. Problem was, over the next decades of history in Israel, the ten northern tribes, which were conquered by Assyria, began to intermarry with other nations. The southern nation was eventually conquered by Babylon and carried away for 70 years. Now remember when they were carried away, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple of, that Solomon had built. When they returned from captivity, they began to rebuild the temple that Solomon built and eventually was rebuilt. During this time, in the middle and northern part of Israel, what has now become known as, this is really important, a half-breed of people called the Samaritans, who had intermingled and, according to the Orthodox Jewish faith, were now uh, compromised in their uh, life. They were compromised in their religion. In fact, they opposed the rebuilding of the temple because their faith now was mixed with worshiping idols. They built another temple uh, on the mountain in Samaria while the Jews were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. So there began to be this great divide between the Jews located in Judea or Jerusalem area and the Samaritans that were located in Samaria. This is the world that Jesus found himself in. I grew up in the deep south. Sheldon and I were talking about this before the service. I remember signs that would say whites only or coloreds were prohibited from entering. Imagine in my generation, in my generation, the, the American Negro has just been allowed to vote. I have a lot of friends that are African Americans and to hear them tell the pain of their story of at one point um, they were not allowed to own property. Eventually they were allowed to own property and were not allowed to own property with churches and eventually the churches became the only thing that they could own. And if you talk to most African Americans, their spiritual depth is so strong because of this was the one thing that people could not take away from them was their ability to worship the Lord together. I live through, um, I live just really 35 miles from Greensboro where 
the sit-down at the pharmacy, I think it was Woolworths, uh, created a major uh, catastrophe. I, I know exactly where Anniston, Alabama is. I've been there many times where the freedom fighters on a bus, where the bus was set on fire. And it just goes on and on and on. So it's a history that we are coming out of, one that we are not very proud of. Jesus encounters a, a scene where all of those around him were orthodox in their thinking. Think of the Samaritans as less than the Jewish people that they were a part of. So this is the prejudice that Jesus encounters. You know, there's a lot of reason for prejudice. Not just race. Sometimes it's education. Sometimes it's social standing. Sometimes it's the fact that people have made mistakes. If you were to introduce someone and say, this is my brother or this is my son, um, and you were to use the term, um, they're an alcoholic or they're a prostitute, or they're a drug addict, or they're divorced. Would you say to me that in our society, we create all kinds of levels of prejudice in our minds because of people's history? Let me tell you about um, our history. The, the one thing that you and I know about our past is we can't change it. What we can change is how we view it. When Jesus encountered the woman in Samaria, something interesting happened. He bypassed all of the prejudice that existed in his day, even to have a conversation with her. In fact, it was more than a conversation with her. He inquired of her, would you give me something to drink? Now, this whole dialogue between him and her is, is, is very, very interesting. And I, I, I want to take you through what I think are six responses that Jesus had with this woman at the well and then I want to read you what I think are some concluding thoughts. Now the well that Jesus encounters her at is Jacob's well. It was a well that the Jews were very familiar with now but remember there's been a lot of history from the time that Jacob had his sons and they were taken away into captivity then they found the promised land led by Joshua but then now the history has been that the north and the south were divided the north did not have one righteous king so they encountered um, what the orthodox Jews would be a compromise to their faith. Six times Jesus appealed to the woman at the well. Look in verse 7, or if you just want to follow the thinking. In verse 7, Jesus says to her, would you give me something to drink? He appeals to her kindness. It was, um, I think the author says, the sixth hour of the day or about noon. That's interesting. She's there by herself. Generally, women would have went out together because it was not so much just gathering water, but it was a social event. They would travel together both for safety and for fellowship. But this woman was alone. Why? You're going to discover that Jesus said, you've been married five times. In their culture, women could not initiate the divorce. So what we know about her life is that five different husbands have said to her, you're not worth staying married to. And in fact, the man she's presently living with is not even her husband. Jesus appeals to her kindness. She responds defensively. Look in verse 9. I love to see this interaction. I think psychologists would have a field day with this. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? So in other words, instead of just responding, have, have you noticed that when people have lived so long under a certain sense of um, 
being labeled, that now they respond to that sense of being labeled? So in other words, someone has been characterized by society or by family or, or by friends or, or by the world, and all of a sudden they begin living out that hurt or pain. In fact, she's almost sarcastic. Why, instead of rejoicing, instead of being thrilled that, wow, you did not even consider my race in asking me to drink. Thank you very much. Instead of doing that, it's like, why would you ask me for something to drink? There is that bit of raw uh, edge in her life that suggests she's living out what others have uh, labeled her with. The next thing that Jesus does is appeal to her curiosity. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now he takes the conversation beyond the normalcy of would you just give me something to drink. Now Jesus sends her on a field trip because he's saying to her, if, you had a, if you'd known who it was that was asking you and you would have asked me for water, I would have given you a water that you would never have thirsted from again. She responds in verse 11 and 12. Sir, I love this, you don't even have a bucket to draw water from. I mean, it's interesting. They are on two, they're operating out of two different worlds. We live life in a matter of assumptions. I love the story of the woman who walked into a Safeway grocery store recently and, and a man was leaning over the cart that held his young fussy toddler. And the man was saying, okay, Billy, settle down. It'll be okay. We'll be home soon. And the, the woman walked by and she tapped the man on the, the arm and she said, I am so impressed by how you're responding to your young son. Um, and she looked over and she said, hi, Billy. And the man said, oh, no, he's Patrick. I'm Billy. <laughs> the father's encouraging self that it'll be okay and we'll be home soon. But we make all kinds of assumptions when we hear conversations, right? The next thing, Jesus appeals to her spiritual need. Look in verse 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. She said, sir, give me the water that I won't get thirsty of and... Uh, to have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still on a different playing field. She wants, she'd love to drink from a water that never thirsts from again, but she still has this idea that it's very different. I would assume that we, we have encountered a very jaded person about life. She, she can't quite get herself to the whole environment that Jesus is trying to bring her to. You know what he's basically saying to her? Listen, I, I get it. Your life's a mess. I know why you're out here at noon. Nobody will have anything to do with you. And you're ashamed of your past. And you're not even comfortable with, you probably can't even get another man to call you his wife. But I want to tell you something. For me, it doesn't matter what your past is. 
doesn't even matter that you're a Samaritan. I purposed, please hear this, church. I purposed to come through Samaria. Because everything about my orthodoxy would have me go around this town, but, but that's not how I live life. I've come for a different reason. I've come because there's something in your life that's broken. There's something that's causing you to be married over and over and over again. And I don't know what it is, but I'm here to offer you a chance to get off the treadmill and for the first time in your life, discover the true meaning of life so that you're not living out of desperation, but you're living out of hope. It's amazing, in just a few short sentences, Jesus deals with her past, moves right into her present, and talks to her about a preferred future that could be hers. We're always trying to define the future. I love the mother who says to the little four-year-old, she bought her a tricycle, and she says, Honey, she said, you can ride on the sidewalk between the driveway and the tree, and that's it. If you go past the driveway or past the tree, I'm going to spank you. I love this. This is a true story. The little four-year-old looks up and she says, well, you might as well spank me now because I got places to go and people to see. <laughs> I just, I love that story because we're always trying to fit life into some kind of a box. This man's black. This man's white. And all of a sudden, our thinking is constrained by what we see or our experiences. And Jesus is, please hear this, Jesus is always pulling you beyond what your experiences have been and what your understanding is. He's always want, wanting to pull you up and to see life from his perspective, not from your perspective. Your perspective has been skewed by your life's experiences. You will think with prejudice. You will think with limitations because Sometimes if we've been hurt enough, we'd then shelter our life in a very small way and, and we shut the door. We won't let people in. And people can only see what we choose to let them see because we've decided no one will hurt me again like I've been hurt. And all of a sudden we've closed our spirit and Jesus was trying to, he was trying to find how can I get to that spot where I can, I can touch this woman at the core of her being? Because if I don't, please listen to this church, because if I don't, she will live the rest of her life trapped by what others think about her and how she views her own life. And without some kind of an intervention, without some kind of an interruption, she will always see herself as a failure. I am good for no one, which is why I am all alone at the well in the middle of the day. Jesus appeals to her personal interest in verse 16. Go call your husband and come back. She responds, I have no husband. Don't you love it when Jesus is dealing with us? You know what our, you know what our response is? We change the subject. 
I mean, our response is to divert from the very thing that the Lord, because it's too painful. We don't want to talk about that. We live in a world where it's easier to mask pain than it is to confront it. In America, we are the most uh, medicated society in the world. Why? Because we refuse to get to the root of our issues. We just want to mask the pain, make the pain go away. In fact, we don't just do that medically, we do that emotionally. And so we create um, diversionary tactics so that we don't have to deal the reality of our past or even the reality of our present. And what Jesus is here to say to you today is, listen, I already know about your past. And I know about your present. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what your past has been and it doesn't matter what your present is. I'd like to speak to you about a future that I have planned for you. Don't you just love someone who, who doesn't, isn't prejudiced about who you are or what you've done? It makes no difference to them. You can not only love someone like that, that kind of love will heal the pain of our past and the difficulty of our present. That's who he is. He said to her, if you only knew who I was, if you knew that I come, I mean, imagine the last act of Jesus on earth while he was still living as a man was to forgive a man who hung beside him, who deserved to die. It's just who he is. It's why we respond to his love. Because our slate is wiped clean and he gives us a new beginning. But that's not where we live. Do you remember, I think it's in John 9 when Jesus encounters a man blind since birth and uh, Jesus is getting ready to heal him. His disciples says, oh, 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 oh. Why is he blind? Was it his parents' sin? I mean, that's where we go. We want to know who's to blame for this. You know what Jesus said? Jesus, Jesus covered all of that when he said, I'll take the blame. Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, I, I love this. They tried so feebly to find leaves to, to cover their nakedness. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't do it. Your best efforts to cover your past or to hide your past or to try to hide from your past, because I think that's one of two things we do. We either hide from our past and don't want others to find out or we ourselves hide from our past and, and try to block it out. And, and Jesus just deals with it directly. Hey, I mean, don't you love this? I mean, it's just, he's kind of like the person you're not sure you really know where he's coming from when he says, oh, you've been divorced five times and the man you're living with is not your husband. Wow. Jesus starts from truth. But the difference between Jesus and most of us is he speaks the truth with love. For him, it's not a disqualifier. He's not saying that to be judgmental. He's not being cynical. He's not being sarcastic. He's not doing that to condemn you. In fact, what he knows is that the enemy of your soul, Satan, that's all he's concerned about is condemnation. What Jesus is interested, though, is conviction. 
He's interested in us coming to a place like the woman at the well did. I need the water that you have. I've made a mess of my life. Maybe she isn't entirely responsible. Maybe you're sitting here today and you can relive some of the pain of your life and maybe it isn't your fault. Maybe some of it isn't your responsibility. Maybe you were taken advantage of. Maybe you were abused. But Jesus is saying, really doesn't matter to me whether you're responsible or someone else is responsible. I'm here to give you a new start. I'm here to help you heal from the past. You will always remember it. She wasn't going to wipe the fact that she had been married five times, as she goes to apply for some ministry credentials, she's going to have to say, I've been married five times. That doesn't look very good on your resume, but it doesn't matter to Jesus. And frankly, it shouldn't matter to us if people are ready for a new beginning. That's the way the church is supposed to live. I mean, remember their response first to Saul who became Paul? Isn't he the guy who killed and persecuted Christians? Yes, but God has changed him. There's something of a dramatic encounter. I, um, I believe this morning that the Lord is wanting to bring us to a place of healing to a place where we recognize that, that our past is already known to him and that there's nothing that you can do to change it. But you do have some decisions to make about your past. Are you forgiving of your past? Are you forgiving of others? Have you forgiven yourself? There's some things about our present that maybe aren't the kind of things that we would want posted in the newspaper, but the Lord, even at that point, would want to take away. Because the enemy leaves us sometimes trapped between two worlds. Guilty over our past, or shamed, or fearful over our present. And the Lord would say, I would love to take care of all of those. I'd love to give you a reason to say, my past has been covered. There are a couple situations I've encountered recently in the Foursquare Church that I was, um, I was stunned by because I, this is what I believe about our family. I, I love when Sheldon used the term family because there's something about family in its truest sense of the word that says there is a commitment beyond friendship. It is... Um, blood is thicker than water. And we aren't, we aren't joined by human blood. We're joined by Jesus' blood. Which makes our bond of family so much um, the possibility, because he's never hurt me. He's never used me. In fact, he died first. He gave himself he loved me, the Bible says, before I loved him. I, I love this story. I'm going to finish with two stories, both true. One has to do with a softball championship, Central, or, Central Washington versus Western Oregon. 
it was a conference softball championship among girls, and I, I love this story because it talks about how family should be. And it's the model Jesus set in this scripture. Let me tell you, let me get to the end of the story, then I'm going to tell you these two stories. The end of the story in John chapter 4 is that because Jesus was willing to confront her past, be honest about her present, but, but point her to a future that was not restrained by her past or present, this woman everything about her changed. She went back into town and told everybody in town, you got to come out and meet the man who told me everything about my life. And she brought the whole town out to meet Jesus. And John says, Jesus stayed for several more days just to share with them the news about the kingdom. Now, let me tell you about the disciples who went into town for supplies and they came back out with how many people? No one. Imagine they're traveling with the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and they don't even tell anybody, you've got to come out and meet Jesus. He's with us. In fact, they're worried, well, Jesus, what did you eat for lunch? Or why were you talking with this woman from Samaria? And Jesus says something very important to them. He said, lift up your eyes. How many know that we can be so close to Jesus and so familiar with him that we start drilling down on the details while Jesus has to pull us back to see life from his perspective? They were worried about the mundane. He wanted them to see the spiritual. Lift up your eyes, for the fields are white unto harvest. You have no idea of the reason I'm here. Two stories. One has to do with the softball championship, Central Washington versus Western. Sarah is her name. She played for Western Oregon. There were less than 100 people watching the game at, at Washington State. She's five foot two. Had never hit a home run in college. Never hit one ever. Five foot two. But she did hit one in the last game of a doubleheader against Central Washington for the conference championship. There were two people on. It was the game winner. But rounding first base, she tore her ACL. And fell just after first base. She crawled back to first base and she picked up the base and just sat there on the ground and hugged it. Now she has to touch home plate for the game to be recorded. But here's the interesting rule. Her teammates couldn't help her. Because if they touch her, she's disqualified, they lose the game. Mallory Holtman the holder of the conference record for home runs, who played on the opposite team. I love this because this is the church. Asked the umpire, what rules were there to prevent them from picking her up and letting her tag the bases, thus giving Oregon the win? And the referee said, I don't know of any rules preventing the opposing team from picking the player up. They picked her up and touched all the bases. And Central Oregon won the game. Why? Because someone decided to put their own um, dreams aside so that someone else's dream could be realized. I, I want to conclude with this. I was astounded to find this out in the last six months, that two of our Foursquare pastors' daughters had been molested earlier in their life. 
In fact, these conversations happened, um, they happened at different places. And um, these pastors uh, didn't even know that each other, that this had happened to their daughters until I connected them. One pastor's daughter was molested by a school teacher, and they both happened somewhere between uh, about 10 and 12 years of age. And it wasn't until about 16 or 17 that the daughters began to uh, in, began to exhibit uh, behaviors that their parents could not, um, they couldn't wrap their arms around, they couldn't justify. I think both girls, their hair was falling out, they were starting to struggle in school, and um, but I want to tell you about one of them, because I think this is the way I want to end my time together this morning. As the one pastor sitting there with me, and I, my first child was a girl, and I, I was just, I was so wounded for him and his wife and, and their daughter. But as he was telling the story, um, he was saying to me, you know, Glenn, it was so painful. It was so painful for our daughter. It was so painful for us. We didn't know how we could help her. We took her to counseling because we knew there was something wrong, and this is what surfaced. And it was a, the one that I'm telling you about was a family friend. The other was a school teacher. This is a family friend that we had let into our home, and we just couldn't believe it. And now we're faced with, you know, going to the authorities and potentially Lacey having to to go and and testify in court. And it was all just it was surreal. During this time, MTV was producing um, a program at high schools and they pulled about 10 high school kids together and they were filming a reality show and the reality show centered around the kids confessing something in their life that no one else knew. Some would confess that their parents had divorced. Some would confess that uh, they had been on drugs. Lacey went to her dad. I want you to hear this as we close. She went to her dad and she said, Dad, I want to tell them what happened to me. The dad said, why would you do that? Why would you expose your past to all of your friends and to the world? Because this is going to be on television. And this little 17-year-old girl looked up at him and she said, if everyone knows, no one can hurt me again. Wow. She was free. I met Lacey and um, we've become Facebook buddies and um, it's just been fun. Her dad said, she's telling everybody at school, I'm Facebook friends with the president of Foursquare. God used her testimony not only to set her free, but to set her friends free. There is a revival on campus at their high school, largely in part of the confession of this young lady that allowed other kids to come forward and said, I want to be free too. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I've got a question this morning to ask you. Some of you have been trapped by your past. Some of you are in somewhat of a bind over your present set of scenarios. It's really not important for me to know what they are. What's important for you to know is that Jesus already knows, and he still loves you. Jesus already knows, and he would still call you his son and his daughter. 
But the enemy would love for you to spend all of your life being racked by the pain or the shame of your past. This morning, Jesus has said, I want you to come free. If you're here this morning and uh, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you're here this morning and there's just, there's something about your past, maybe something you caused or maybe someone else caused, but you know that your life has been hindered from running at full speed because you've either never, you realize you've never either forgiven someone else or you've never forgiven yourself. But this morning Jesus is saying, I forgive you. And you'd like to move forward from this day saying, I'm free. I am no longer bound by my past. That's you this morning. Would you just lift your hand up and down? Probably 100, 120 hands this morning. Thank you. One, one last question. I'm wondering if you're here this morning and you've never, ever confessed your past to Jesus. You've never said, would you take your blood and would you cover all of my sin? For some of you, you've been saved, but which is the question we dealt with earlier, but you've never really forgiven your past. But for some of you, you've never come to Jesus and said, Lord, would you cover my past? I know you died. I know you shed your blood, but I've never asked you to forgive my sins. If that's you this morning, I'm not going to ask you to stand or come forward, but I, I think it's a great intersection for you to begin a whole new chapter of your life because there's some things that you need to forgive. There's some things that you need to ask him to forgive. And he stands ready to do that. But you have to be like the woman who says, I'll drink of the water that you're providing. So anybody this morning, just lift your hand and say, Glenn, I've never asked Jesus to come into my heart. I'd like to do that today and begin a brand new start. Would you lift your hand? There's one, two, three, four, five, six. Anybody else? Seven. Keep your hand up, would you? Seven, eight. Father, thank you for just an incredible response this morning from this church. I expect because what you asked me to share this morning that we will leave healed this morning, forgiven and free of all that the enemy planned. I pray for Sheldon and Heidi. I'm so thrilled and happy for their ministry thrilled for their partnership and for the foundation that Alex and Berna have laid. Lord, I rejoice this morning in such a healthy, healthy leadership foundation of New Hope Hilo and give you all the glory, honor, and praise for you alone are worthy in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Love being with you this morning. It is a brand new day. Only God can do something like that. For those of you who said yes to Jesus Christ at the end of service, you can go ahead and pick up a yes packet. And what that will do is help you with your relationship with Jesus Christ. But I would also say this, get involved somewhere. Tell someone you received Jesus Christ because that is the greatest decision that you, have, that you will ever make in your life. And so go ahead and do that. And then for the rest of us, we know that God has given us a wonderful future, but it starts with Jesus Christ. Never forget that he died for us 
and that everything that he is all about gives us that kind of future. We're going to stand this morning, but first let's applaud all those that said yes to Jesus Christ this morning. And let's stand together as we sing our last song because it is a happy day.